Episode 126, dated Friday the 16th of October 2009, Machinima, with Rooster Teeth Productions. You're listening to Digital Cowboys. News, reviews, discussions, and uncensored opinions on the world of video games. You're a game company. That's why you make Mario. So if they carry on making a new Mario game, a new Zelda game, the stuff that we've come to rely on, that's all well and good. But the one thing they forgot to show in this conference was anything for that demographic. Move to the next section, you shoot all the guys there, you move to the next section. What other what, shooter doesn't do this? I'm, but I'm, it's what they do with the AI to make those shooting sections interesting. I mean, yeah. One of the achievements is playing for more than 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> when we do an imitation of a Ponzi Brit, do oh, we yeah. sound as bad? Yes. yes. <laughs> I am actually sitting here drinking tea as yeah. we're doing this podcast. Is there a trend in the industry you wish you could do away with? Activision. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Tony Atkins. Welcome to the Digital Cowboy, baby. Before you listen to this episode of Digital Cowboys, it's important to explain briefly what it's about. We're talking to two of the team at Rooster Teeth, a company that makes animated shorts using the engine from the Halo series and other video games. Red vs. Blue is their main show, currently on its seventh season. The gist of it is, one box canyon, two small opposing armies in Spartan armour, who hate their enemies just a little bit less than they hate their own teammates. Much hilarity, team-killing, possession by aggressive AI, and geek culture references abound. We suggest you at least watch a few of their PSAs first, as they aren't reliant on plot and are a good way of gauging the humour. This is a massively popular series with an expansive community and internet renown, and we are very proud to have them on our show. So, listeners old and new, enjoy. This week, we welcome to the show two of the gentlemen who brought Machinima to unprecedented levels of popularity, Bernie Burns and Jeff Ramsey of Rooster Teeth Productions, responsible for Red vs. Blue, The Strangerhood, Panics, 1-800-MAGIC, and countless short videos, including the classic Apple Switch parody. Gentlemen, it is truly an honor to have you on board today. Hey! Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. We sounded so prolific in that. I was going to say, and speaking of unprecedented, that is the first time we've been called gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) You have to be careful with that word, otherwise they will take it away from you. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, to be gentlemen, we are sending you monocles and top hats in the post. (laughs) And and we're British, so we're allowed to do that. Gentlemen is a very British word. Okay, so we're going to be asking you about the history of Red vs. Blue, how you got into it, the technical aspects of it, and try and keep it as, uh, you know, interesting as possible for people who haven't seen it as a way of drawing them in, and for people who have seen it to answer a lot of the questions that they're probably going to be uh, thinking. So... We're going to start off with, uh, this is one of your PSAs, which uh, you happen to have every couple of, I don't know, weeks, months or so on, on the site. Just little snippets, which are sort of one-shot things, so they're not in any way tied in with continuity, but they're probably the best way to start with Red vs. Blue. This Red vs. Blue PSA is called Real Life vs. the Internet, but it's going to need me to read you guys the subtitles, just to put it in context. Hi, my name is Pro- 
Private Church from the popular web series Red vs. Blue. Welcome to the New York Video Festival's Wild Wild Web Program. I would just like to say that we did not help come up with that name. Griff? Seriously, dude. Why not just call it the Incredible Edible Internet? Shut up. You're going to get us fired. Fine. We realize that a lot of you are here tonight because you've never heard of this crazy thing called the Internet. If you or someone you know is thinking about using the Internet, we've prepared the following primer to teach you how the Internet is different from the real world. Meeting new people in real life. Well, it was, it was really great to meet you. It was really great to meet you, too. Would you mind if I called you later? Sure. Meeting new people on the Internet. So, big boy, I'm... You're not a girl. What? Of course I am. A real girl? Who's a girl? I like girls. Shut up, you. Yes, I am really a girl. <laughs> Send me naked pictures. Okay. I love Angelina Jolie! Does anyone else like Angelina Jolie? She's got enormous lips! Checking your mail in real life. Bills, bills, bills. Coupon. Great. Checking your mail on the internet. Pardon me, my friend, but I am Nigerian royalty, and I need you to send me money. Please ignore the fact that I can't spell Nigeria or royalty. Would you like to refinance your home? Mortgage rates have never been lower. Hey, church, we have all the filthiest sluts on the Internet. They're hopped up on herbal Viagra and waiting for you. Would you like a bigger penis? Where would you like it? I can suggest some places. You can put it in escrow. Going shopping in real life. $12.99 for that Creed CD, please. Here you go. Have a nice day. Going shopping on the Internet. Does anyone have the new Creed CD? I have it. Give it to me right now. Give it to you? Why would I do that? You're not giving it to me. Give it to me faster. Wait. That's illegal. No, it isn't. I don't want it to be illegal. Therefore, it isn't. That's the way it works. Creed sucks. I hate you. And I hate the band you like. Partying with friends in real life. This is a great party. Yeah. Woo. All right. Partying with friends on the internet. Hey, where is everybody? I guess they're all masturbating. Oh. Right. Well, I'll see you later, dude. I'm going to go masturbate. Okay. See ya. Discussing politics in real life. Look, that's just the way I feel about it. Well, I disagree, but I respect your opinion. Discussing politics on the internet. You deserve to die! Die and go to hell and burn! Oh yeah? Well, I hope you get raped! Twice! Maybe then you'll feel different! Jerk! We don't need to find any weapons of mass destruction! We just need to want to find them! That's the way it works! I voted for Nader! I hate everyone! Would you like to change your home page to move on down? Bernie and Jeff, how you doing? Good, doing well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, first question. How do you describe Machinima to folks who aren't so familiar with games? Well, Ooh. yeah, that's a good question. Uh, and congratulations on pronouncing it correctly as well. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to pronounce it to people who are familiar with games, honestly. I know, right? It, so it, how, do people, a, how do people actually pronounce it? Is it Machinima, not Machinima? I've heard Machinima. <laughs> you know, usually when people see it, they're usually seeing that term for the first time because not a lot of people are familiar with machinima, although it's grown quite a bit uh, in the past few years. But machinima or machinima is the combination of the words machine and cinema. Uh-huh. So technically, I, I guess you'd say machinima would be the correct way to say it. <laughs> although you wouldn't say cinema, so I don't know. I say cinema. 
I think I, I think I say machinima more than anything else. But machinima is the production of typically short films using the 3D engines from video games. Instead of using video games to play the game that you're actually intended to, you use them to tell stories and to act out, in our case, humorous sketches that we then post on the internet on a weekly basis. Nah. So, okay, that, that pretty much has it down pat. I mean, you guys have been mainly using uh, Halo for your, for your careers, diverting off into The Sims and, and things like that, right? Well, that's right. We uh, we started because we were huge Halo fans, and we didn't actually know what Machinima was. Mm. Uh, we just kind of stumbled across the idea of, hey, we can use the game to make funny skits, and it wasn't until we were, I think we were on, what, episode five or six? We were pretty pretty far into the, se- the first season before we were told that we were making Machinima. We got a phone call, actually, from a guy named Paul Marino, who was the, or was then the head of the Machinima Academy of Arts and Sciences, uh-huh. which sounds very official. And uh, he said, uh, you guys are making some great Machinima there. And we said, what? Huh? <laughs> With the one now? Yeah. So, yeah, you've been nominated. Is that illegal? Yeah. <laughs> are we going to contract some sort of disease? <laughs> you've been nominated for a Machinima Award, and we're like, awesome. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm so proud. But it was uh, it was pretty cool because we got to discover then a whole community of artists, uh, you know, who had been doing it for years, and we got to meet a lot of great people who were in the Machinima community. So what had been done before you guys? Because in all seriousness, I had not seen anything before I started watching RVB. Yeah, same here. Yeah, it was my first. Uh, Touch with Machinima. Well, the, the the first year we got going with Machinima, when we would go around and, and talk about universities, we saw a number of different clips, but they were typically before Red vs. Blue came along. I think Doom and Quake, was that was the number one engines or video games being used to make Machinima. Yeah, mm, and the very first Machinima piece was actually in the late 90s. It was a piece called Diary of a Camper. Am I saying that right? Was it, was it late 90s or was it early 2000s? I think it was late 90s, yeah. But and, you're right, it was Diary of a Camper. And that's credited as being the first machinima piece because that was the first short that actually tried to tell a story as opposed to just traditional, what they call recamming, which is where they show gameplay from a video game and just edit it and make, it, make themselves look cool, the player does. Yeah, yeah, we're seeing plenty of them. Yeah. So uh, more of a now anything with a narrative kind of counts as machinima, right? Exactly. Right. And Diary of a Camper was about lumberjacks, since in Quake your primary weapon was an axe. Uh-huh. They decided right. to reskin the Space Marines as lumberjacks, and they're out. Uh, I think they're. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting mixed you, up with apartment honey. Yeah. I am getting mixed up with apartment honey. Diary of a Camper was actually a, directly in Quake. And that was about a camper who is a person who hides in a dark corner of the map and just shoots everybody who comes by. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. And, and I hate to spoil it, but at the end he gets his big comeuppance, and uh, that was the first that was the first narrative machinima. And then one of the earliest ones I saw, which I was kind of mixed up there, was apartment hunting, which was about lumberjacks trying to find an apartment. <laughs> okay. Right. So. Okay. How did this even start? I mean, you just must have been playing Halo one day, and you thought something like maybe this will work if i filmed it how did it work sort of we uh like bernie said earlier this is jeff we had uh we were huge halo fans and this is back before the days of xbox live Mm. so we would all get off work on a friday and we would grab our xboxes drive to bernie's house with an xbox and a tv we'd set up four xboxes land party yeah we'd have a yeah like a console land party and we would play halo from like 6 p.m friday until, you know, maybe 7 p.m. Sunday, nonstop, which was 
really great. Our wives loved it. Uh, they were really happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and, uh, but you spend so much time sitting in front of, uh, I've never, even before Rivers Bull, I'd never spent so much time staring in front of one video game. And you just start to notice stuff. And one day, I think it was Bernie said, have you, why do they call this vehicle the Warthog? It looks nothing like a well, Warthog. Like a and all, yeah, and we stopped, we stopped shooting each other for a second. And we kind of walked around and we're like, well, why? Yeah, that's a good question. Then we saw the tusks, you know, the tusks at the front. And we were like, well, maybe it's because it's got tusks. And it was kind of like, I don't know, I think at that moment, a light probably went off in Bernie's head. Certainly not mine. <laughs> but uh, where he said, you know, well, we're not killing each other. This kind of actually looks like a movie. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Bernie. No, and, yeah, and, uh, and you kind of that was kind of the seed of of the idea for you. Pretty much. I mean, I was a I was I wasn't a film student at university. I was actually a computer science student. But I had transferred from a pre medical student to a computer science student, and so I, nothing transferred. I, I had to take a bunch of classes, retake a lot of computer science classes, but nothing else. So I had a lot of spare time in my last few semesters at university, and so I got involved with filmmaking as a hobby. And I had a lot of video capture equipment in order to capture and edit video. And so I thought, well, let's start capturing footage from the game and doing fun stuff in it. And there was a moment when I used a simple little black mat, Mm -hmm. a video mat, to cover the score and to cover the gun. Mm -hmm. And then it achieved this letterbox effect. Mm -hmm. And once we did that, I said, this kind of looks like a movie, you know, it looks like a, a 3D animated movie, and then we could control the characters like they were puppets, and so I went over to Jeff and Gus's house, and I put a microphone in front of their face and said, here, read this line, now read this line, uh, then in, went home, and in the first weekend, probably in about, you know, 24 hours total, I made the first episode of Red vs. Blue really to show Jeff and Gus what the concept was, and we just kind of put it online for fun and like, just took off from there. So did you did you do all the puppeteering yourself on that one, just sort of with the head bobbing and things, or was that did you actually have some help with that? Uh, yeah, on the first one, the very first one I did, which is why the movements are very simple because it's yeah. one person like going back and forth. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Okay, make right. Griff nod. Okay, right. So then, how did you suck everyone else into actually doing it? Yeah, that, I'd like to know that too. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been, been too long. long. How many how many years is this now? Uh, we're going on seven years, I think. Seven, yeah, we're in our seventh year right now. And, uh, well, Jeff and Gus, I basically had two groups of friends, and Jeff and Gus were in my web group of friends, and then I had a group of friends who were film people, and now they all kind of came together to work on Red vs. Blue. Mm. Um, and then so I went to Jeff and Gus and said, you know, we should, we should start putting this online and, you know, make a series out of this, because at the time, really, the only series that were on the Internet were Flash animation series. There wasn't a whole lot of video content. This is there back in two thousand, late two thousand two, mm. and um, there was like Miss Muffy and or Miss Muffin and like Homestar Runner. Homestar Runner was just was just get going, I think, at that time. And yeah. Happy Tree Friends, Happy too. Tree Friends, yeah, yeah. yeah. All of which are probably all going still going on today too. Yeah. And um, the um, anyway, so so we got together and we we kind of built the plan for having a website and uh, putting it up. And Jeff and <laughs> Jeff and Gus had had a site a video game review site called Drunk Gamers that they had just shut down, which was, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, it was all about drinking and playing video games. <laughs> yeah, it's like you basically say. take your, your passions and try to make a career out of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's not the drunken gamers. Okay, so you dragged everyone in. Did you, t- did you tell them, okay, you're not going to get any money for it, but we're going to just do this. So is, is that how you started? What? That's exactly. Yeah, we yeah. said we're not going to, you know, our budget was the cost of an Xbox and a copy of Halo. Nice. Just and, the 
<laughs> yeah, just well, just the one because we had to expand from the one I had at home already. Uh-huh. And and so I said, you know, we'll just do this, and then if it makes any money, we'll just, you know, split up the profits, or you know, <laughs> everyone will get paid later. And luckily, Gus and I had never had money at any point in our lives previously, so we weren't we didn't miss it. <laughs> we weren't looking for it to begin with. So. so how how did you honestly think this was going to pan out? Did you think, oh, this is obviously going to be an instant hit? You know, Halo's a big game. This, you know, people are going to jump over this, or did you just think, right, this is going to go off on the internet? You know, a few people are going to see it, you know, and get a few comments, and we just move on with the rest of our lives. Uh, yeah, kind of. I and mean, when, when Gus and I were doing Drunk Gamers, and Red vs. Blue really came out of that about you know, yeah. a month after Drunk Gamers stopped, we had done it for three or four years at that point, and we were really excited if like 300 people a day went to our <laughs> website. That was a huge success to us. And we just wanted people to see what we were doing and hopefully entertain them. And so, and most of it was our friends, honestly, mm. around the country. It was a way for us to, you know, it was early days of the internet, it was a way for us to keep in touch with our friends from college or colleges we dropped out of and whatnot and uh so we we to us red versus blue would have been a success if 300 people a day had seen it and uh you know we never thought microsoft or bungie or anyone would ever have any inkling of it and uh, we would just kind of fly far under the radar of success like we had been doing for so many years already well and, we, you know we had expectations i mean when you start anything you kind of have like i don't know maybe not expectations you have hopes for how how it'll go like well maybe if it gets popular you know m- maybe Bungie might notice it who Bungie is the name of the development company that makes Halo and you don't say for people <laughs> who don't know <laughs> I just, no one who listens to our show doesn't know that oh okay okay so, I think the biggest idea for success for me was I thought maybe someday we could get linked on Slashdot <laughs> oh really yeah my mine was I thought I was hoping well maybe we could get lucky and Bungie would notice us and maybe they might mention us or you know, wouldn't it be great if we ended up as like an Easter egg inside one of the games? Because Bungie puts a lot of Easter eggs in the games. I thought that'd be crazy. Uh, and I would say that no matter what our expectations were, the series surpassed it within the first three weeks. Even maybe even faster. Yeah, maybe faster. It was a very rapid acceleration. Yeah, this Explain guy, that. Well, I mean, what was the moment that you went, "Oh my God, this is this is more than just me goofing around with my mates. This is starting to take off." How did you feel at that point? Is that wow? Well, we, we liked the first one. We saw it. I mean, the first moment was when it worked, and we looked at it, and we said, yeah, this is this is going to work. It actually turned out the way we hoped it was going to turn out, the actual per- first episode itself. And then we made a PSA, and then we made the second episode. And so we put out the first episode, and then we put out the first PSA and the second episode at the same time the following week. Yes. Mm-hmm. 3,000 people watched the first episode. And about 300,000 showed up to watch the second episode. Whoa. Wow. So is that just word of mouth or? Yeah. Yeah. That was the craziest thing to us was we, I mean, we didn't have anyone to tell, you know, it just traveled over the internet. That was before social networks. Each person told a thousand friends. (laughs) One person told 300,000 friends. All right. Uh, But yeah, I mean, this is, you know, years before Google and YouTube and there was really no way for us to, to get it out there. Then I another imagine time before YouTube. That's, yeah, imagine that's a time before YouTube. Well, no, no, this is a the tech dark ages of the internet. Yeah, this is a, this was a big thing. This is back in now 2003. Mm. This was before Flash video, before the Flash codec had come out for video. Mm. Flash was just So we had to use QuickTime, and the files for a tiny little video file that was maybe two minutes long. That was about 80 megabytes. Yeah, that was our first success was our first problem. Yeah. We had a tremendous bandwidth bill overnight. Yeah, we could not figure out how to serve them quickly enough. And the first, if you want the moment for when it really happened was 
we had a server just plugged into like a spare Ethernet port in my office. And while I was working one day, when we put up the second episode, it was linked on FARC, it was linked on Slashdot, and it was linked on Penny Arcade on all the same day. On the same day. And so that just brought everything down in a hurry. And so we were scrambling around trying to figure out, here's this thing that people want to watch. How the heck are we going to get it to them? And within about four weeks after that, we had four different servers in three different cities across the U.S. Just trying to figure out how to serve these little videos. Yep. Whoa. And yeah. Each, each week incredible. Yeah, we were always juggling. But as you can imagine, a lot of the people who watched Red vs. Blue and who liked it, you know, they were the guys that worked at some company, some tech company, and they ran a room full of servers, and nobody knew what they did at the company. And so we found there was a lot of people who wanted to help host the files. You know, you might be surprised by the number of guys who have access to huge bandwidth pipes and lots of different servers. And so those, those kind of, of fans and audience members have always been critical to the success of Red vs. Blue. We actually know a couple ourselves, and thank you very much. You know who you are. Um, <laughs> okay, right. The, um, if we go piece by piece, this is going to take a year to actually go through the, entire, the entirety of the Rags to Riches story of uh, LVB. So let's focus on the first game. Um, the, to get it to work, to actually get the game to play ball with you, you had to exploit several different si- uh, sides of the multiplayer game. What, what were some of the things you had to do to convince Halo to actually let you film Red vs. Blue? You mean convince the software or convince Bungie. people to make it? <laughs> no, no, just the software. Yeah. Oh, Bungie, just software. Uh, that's more of a PR thing. Right. Well, we got, we got lucky. And this is, there's one, there was one small quote-unquote feature, mm. or if you want to call it a bug, although we'd never call it a bug, uh, uh, that was in Halo, the first Halo. And that was when you held specifically the pistol as a weapon, Mm-hmm. and you looked down at your feet at the last minute the character looked up. Yeah. And why that's important is if we didn't do that, we'd either had to point the gun at whoever we were talking to, so mm. it would have been the most aggressive comedy <laughs> of uh, storytelling, or we would have had to look at our feet the whole time. Yeah. So there was this weird bug where the characters would look straight ahead when they were looking at their feet, uh, which was great. That made Red versus Blue possible. Yeah. Um, so that was the first one. And then we just tried anything we could uh, to try to make the, the game tell the story. I think the first shot for Red vs. Blue was we wanted to have kind of a high crane shot, but the only way to get any kind of elevation was to jump your characters. Yeah. So instead we stood the camera character on the turret of the tank and raised the tank turret so we get a yeah, high shot. That, yeah. Yeah. And uh, that, was, that was actually one of the first things that Bungie heard about and they thought how you know they thought that was very creative and a and such an odd use of the game and that's that's one of the reasons why they contacted us and throughout the first series the reticle keeps going red every time it's, it pops over someone's face <laughs> doesn't it yes um okay right what, there was one shot in the first series where the i mean this is going to mean nothing to people who are new to this but you fired a warthog onto the top of red base or blue base and it just base. went in one go boom like that how many times did that take you would be surprised. That took maybe six or seven takes. It was, it was the fifth take, I remember it. Was it fifth? Yeah. yeah. It, it was not much. The funny thing about Red vs. Blue is all the big stuff, like the explosions and the huge battles and the Standing crazy the physics. Up, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of stuff. The game is meant to do that. The hard things are getting everyone to look in the same direction so it all looks like they're looking at the same object. Yeah. Or, you know, if something happens off screen, everybody turns to look. That'll take 
40 takes. <laughs> yeah, or like the thing that was a killer, especially in Halo 1, because you're staring straight at the ground to, to look forward, is to run into a, like to run into a set and hit a mark. Right. Not like Bernie just go, I want you to run from off, you know, from camera left and stand right there. That's like, that's like, that's like, I don't know, the rocket science in Halo 1. It's yeah. so hard to... Well, because you're staring at your feet the entire time. You yeah. can't see where you're going. Jeff would walk the trail first and fire the gun in the ground to make a trail of bullet holes and then try yes. to run along that trail. And then we would have to, you know, those disappear pretty quickly, so we'd have to film really fast. Yeah. So explain this a second. I mean, so you, you obviously have the main camera that you're filming from, so the one person's screen that you're filming from. How what does color it actually is work? the cameraman? Sorry, I've never actually... Um, <laughs> sorry, Tony. Uh, what color is the actual camera guy? Is he a specific color so that you're like, white, follow the pink one? Oh, actually, it wouldn't be pink. Uh, green. He's white. So that he was always white so they stand out, but he's literally a cameraman. Everything from season one, two, and three of Reverse Blue, you saw through his eyes. Yeah. It wasn't a separate camera. But did, did you have access to his screen anywhere so you could actually see where you were coming into Mark, or was it just literally, right, I know from experience now that I need to run to this spot here, and that's probably about in view? It's a combination. If you were good at working from third person in a 3D environment, you could look at the, the cameraman's view, which I'm actually better doing that than I am looking at my feet and running. But that so can be abstract. kind of confusing, yeah, because you're reversed. <laughs> like, if you're moving right on the screen, you're actually moving left on your controller. So it can be very confusing to try to move outside of your character from a third-person view. Okay. And one, the, the person's facing you, typically. Yeah. One more um, exploit. I just, this is purely by chance, but we're going to jump forward a bit to Halo 2 and then jump back. The thing about seeing people in the shade. You want to go for that one, Jeff? Or? Oh, the lighting trick. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, all credit goes to Bernie in that one. We got into a bit of a fight about that because we were. It, it, one of the nice features of Halo 2 is when they put Blood Gulch in, they added a lot of clouds. And uh, Halo 2 was very shady, so suddenly we were in, uh, in Blood Gulch, suddenly when we moved into it in Halo 2, the red base was almost completely and totally in the, sh- in the shadows. Mm. And it was very, very dark. And it was so starkly different from Blue Base. And a lot of the rest of the map that you would have like this almost like neon red guy, and then he'd be like this really subdued red the next time you saw him. And it was kind of it was kind of I guess jarring. And so Bernie just one day said, "I'm going to figure out how to make him bright on base." And uh, we sat there and played instead of making an episode, which is I wanted to go home and go to bed. And he was like, "No, we're going to spend a couple hours tonight figuring this out." And we sat there for two or three hours, and finally he figured out that if you take the cameraman and you look at a guy in the light. Like, all right, say, like, say like my back is to the shadow. The cameraman's back is to the shadow. And you look mm-hmm. directly at a character. He has to be a certain distance away, but he's bright. And that character runs out of the cameraman's field of view, runs into the shade or the darkness, and stands perfectly still. If the cameraman turns around, he's lit. He still he maintains the lighting effects from the bright part of the map. Now, if they move, like if they move a, a half a step or anything, it immediately goes away. Mm-hmm. But so what we would do is then we would sometimes have a second cameraman who would be looking at the area we wanted to stage those guys. Have the cameraman facing all the characters in the light away from, uh, you know, the darkened stage we were going to be shooting on. We'd run them all out, set them up, get them exactly where we need them to be, then turn the cameraman around and we'd start filming. And as long as those characters didn't move, we were fine. So you might <laughs> notice in Halo 2 a lot of, not a lot of movement in some of the shots because of that. If they're lit up in a darkened yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, in summary, the the way you can think about it is if the cameraman doesn't see them transition from light to dark, mm-hmm. then the darkness never applies to that character. Ah, okay. So he actually he has to see the transition of them walking 
into the shade. Otherwise, if you didn't see it, they stay lit up. How but many? The they move, then it applies the dark shading to them. How many hours would you guys say you've played Halo? <laughs> Look at Halo. Yeah, I mean, oh, just no, played no. Or, or messed around in the Halo engine. Is it over the years? Seven years. It's it's really hard to say. I mean, first year it was out. Yeah. 60 hours a week, I'd say, for the first three years at least. Uh, on average. Well, that's about the same as a lot of Halo players, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but that's <laughs> the crazy thing. We'd still play it afterward. Yeah. You know, that's just to work. And then you go home and you actually get to play Halo. You're like, all right, I've been, I've been bobbing heads for 40 hours this week, and I want to actually kill somebody all weekend. And we're terrible at Halo. Yeah. We, we really I will say this. We probably have the least efficient, least, or the most inefficient. Halo time, because for as many hours as we've spent in Halo, yeah. we're terrible at it. Terrible. Yeah. But, like, to, to give you an idea, like, one of the first things we do, like, for instance, when Halo 3 came out, mm-hmm. there's so much to learn, there's so much to look at, there's so many new things to try, coming up with things like the lighting trick that we found and, you know, the original glitch where the, you lower the gun, the head bobs up. I think we must have spent nine months just walking around Halo 3 and looking at the different elements and coming up with ideas and set designs trying to find little exploits before we ever filmed, before we started Reconstruction, which was our first series in Halo 3, uh, just because we wanted to like be as comfortable as possible. And I can't tell you how many hours that must have been. Yeah, it was a lot, just experimenting. Well, we made, we made a mistake. When Halo 2 came out, we felt the obligation to immediately move into Halo 2. Yeah. Mm. And so the first few episodes we did in Halo 2, from a writing perspective and from a technical perspective, are not that great. They're not some of our best episodes. And... We should have spent more time, and we realized that. Yeah. And so once Halo 3 came out, we said, you know what? We're not, we don't feel like we have to jump into it straight away. And so it took nine months for us to just work on the story and explore the environments and find out what we could do before we actually took the leap. You, know? you say that, but Series 3 is still one of my favorites. Oh, thanks. So well, you, well, we're you certainly did something right, yeah. Yeah, the transition to Halo 2. Yeah. Uh, well, we had to play. I appreciate that. Thank you. But it's those, literally those first few episodes where there's a huge reticule in Halo 2, before we discovered another bug in Halo 2 where we could drop our weapons and get rid of our reticule altogether. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and there's a couple episodes in there where there's a huge square reticle that's yeah. up there. Basically I'm going to see that next time I watch it. I'm like, oh, God. Right, yeah, I see what you mean. <laughs> Tony, go. How, how was the overall jump between Halo and Halo 2? Because obviously at that point, you know, it was a, it was a massive release for my, both Microsoft and Bungie. Um, and you must, I mean, no wonder you were eager to get into it because the hype alone on the internet was insane. But what, you know, what were some of the differences in the engine? What were some of the tricks that it allowed you to do that were just, you know, severely lacking in one? Uh, I, well, I, I wouldn't say that there was stuff lacking in one, but one of the nice things about Halo 2 right off the bat is, uh, Bungie included a, a button combination to lower the weapon. Mm. So that we didn't have to exploit a bug to actually be able to bob our heads without the gun up. Uh, and that made a world of difference because it looked a lot more believable, first of all, like, cause they just, they just lower the weapon at their hip or, you know, kind of at the ready, uh, as opposed to Halo 1 where the weapon is literally at, pointed at the ground and as you lift your head up and down, you're moving the gun up and down, so we would have to, like, try to crop around that. Yeah. So I think it, it helped suspend disbelief quite a bit. And you could have more weapons in the pistol. And you could have a lot more weapons in the pistol. You could do it with any weapon. Mm. Um, and then also, the way the character turns, the range of motion is a lot greater and a lot more believable, I think, in Halo 2 mm-hmm. uh, than Halo 1. Mm. There, there's just a lot of polish, a lot of little things like that. Obviously, it looked a hell of a lot better, too. Um, is there anything, anything else you can think of, Bernie, off the top of your head? Well, no. I mean, they, they touched on I mean, the popularity of Halo 2. I mean, yeah. When that game was coming out, it was the biggest launch of all time. You know, every yep. time a Halo game comes out, it's, it's been the biggest launch of all time. And so 
Mm. It's you know it was just to be up at Bungie in Seattle when they were still part of Microsoft. Uh, we were up there at Redmond, and we got to take a look at it. Look at it two weeks in advance mm-hmm. or a week in advance. You know, we were up there, and, yeah. and that was just that well, was awesome. Talk about Bungie. I mean, when did they suddenly notice you and go, oh, "Hang on, some guys are doing this, and this well, is actually quite cool." And maybe stay away a bit from Halo 3 as a whole, say Forge and stuff. We're, we're touching on yeah, a bit so more yeah, later, we'll come but, back you know, the first two seasons and, you know, when they actually found and went, no, three. these guys. Yeah. Sure, well, Bungie contacted us almost straight away. I would say they contacted us about episode four, maybe episode three. Mm-hmm. And they were owned by Microsoft at the time. And Bungie has always had a reputation as being a developer that embraces their fans. I mean, you can go to Bungie.net and see the community mm-hmm. site that they've built out for the Halo universe. It's amazing. And all the stats they have for every Halo game you play. Um, so they contacted us, and essentially the conversation that we had was, Bungie said, we really like what you're doing. We think it's hilarious. We think we never you know, thought the game could be used for something like this. We think it's great. We just want to make sure that you guys do it in the proper way so that you can, can continue to do it. And right. what they were saying there was that they want to help us with the process of becoming officially licensed with Microsoft. So they actually walked us through that process. They're even better than I thought they were. Scary times, <laughs> I bet that was. It, was. it was, yeah. It was very scary. We, uh, oh, yeah. We when the phone a, rang, it was, it Microsoft. was Microsoft on the other end or Bungie on the other end. We were like, well, that was fun. You yeah. know, we went to answer the phone, you know. I'm the head to Mexico. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the bank account. Or indeed, Juno, Alaska. Let's take a quick break, shall we? Uh, we'll do another PSA, and this is... Actually, it's perfectly on that particular note. This is Planning to Fail, which is all about zombie plans. Hey, Doc, nobody likes you. What? What are you talking about? Everybody likes me. Yeah, everybody hates you. You don't fit in. Oh, I think I fit in just fine. Really? Yes. Okay, then let me ask you this, Doc. What's your zombie plan? My what? There's two kinds of people in the world, Doc. Those who have a plan prepared for when the zombies take over the Earth, and those who don't. We call those last people dinner. Nobody does that. In my zombie plan, I'm going to Alaska, because zombies have no body heat. They'll freeze like corpsicles. It's brilliant. Nobody else thinks about stuff like that. Hey, Simmons! What? What's your zombie plan? I have two weeks' worth of food stored in my attic. I climb up and pull up the ladder with me. What? And what happens at the end of the two weeks? Oh, I'm keeping that to myself. I don't want to risk you turning into a zombie and knowing what I'm up to. Oh, come on. You still doing Alaska? You know it. You'll never make it, Grim. The major freeways will be choked with stale cars when people try to flee the major population centers. It's going to be nothing but a tasty flesh bottleneck. I'm just going to have to take that risk. Good luck to you, Grim. Good luck to you, too, Simmons. Are you guys brain damaged? Hey, you knuckleheads, what's all the hammering about? Hey, Sarge, do you have a, quote, zombie plan, unquote? A zombie plan? Of course not. See? I told you. I have 37 different zombie plans. Wow. Now that's preparation. I am seriously impressed, Sarge. Don't be, dirtbag. In 36 of the 37 plans, I use your fresh corpse as bait so that I can make my initial escape from the legions of the undead. Well, at least I know there's one plan where I... In the 37th plan, I knowingly infect myself with the zombie virus just so that I can devour you. Sarge, you've got to be pulling my leg. Why do you think I carry a shotgun with me at all times? You have to be ready to act on a moment's notice. Yeah. Guys, with all the problems in the world, I can't do this thing just the time thinking about... What's that? Romero's beard! The blues have been infected! If anyone needs me, I'll be in the attic! Hello, Juno! Wait, Griff! I need your delicious meat for most of my plans! No need. 
that, you guys? They're gonna hear us. Hey, Dex, but it's been a while since you had some fresh meat. Up yours. Bow, chicka, bow. When did you start turning it into a, more of a uh, business? Ooh, I guess that was... Once, once we started having to get servers to meet all the demand for it, and we started spending money on it, we thought, well, let's figure out a way to try to defray some of that cost. And so we put up a PayPal link and for donations. I'm sure you've seen that before. Yeah. You know, yeah. Let's have yeah. a PayPal button. And, uh, and we were just amazed by the support that people were willing to give to a show that we were giving away for free. Mm. And, and so then we stepped back and looked at it, and I, I think that was probably episode six or seven, I would say. Yeah, I think so. Is when we quite early on. That. Yeah, quite early on. Quite early yeah. on. Well, the, uh, like, like we said, the, the demand rose very, very quickly. And so we were just trying to find a way to, to meet that demand. So when did you first start really thinking about, about it along the lines of a uh, plot rather than comedy? Because that, that started pretty early on, right? I would say the plot started about episode 10. Yeah. Before yeah. it was just more the situation. Jeff, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. As a matter of fact, when you, I, I, I guess you should say, pitched it to us, uh, Red vs. Blue, like your original idea was four or six episodes, I think? It was six. Six episodes. And that included uh, a lot of the major moments, a lot of the bigger jokes from season one, I guess I should say. Donut Gang Pink Armor, mm. that kind of stuff. Right. Was it, I think that might have been the episode that was going to, like, the finale in the original six was Donut getting his pink armor. It was. It was. And then those jokes then stretched out across to make the entire season, which is how we write today, too, because we write the major cornerstones of the season and then fill in the gaps as the season goes along. We write each episode each week, but we know where we're going. Right. Um, and, yeah, so I would say plot, yeah, plot was when the character of Tex showed up. I would say that's when the larger Red versus Blue plot developed. Hmm. All about the freelancers and uh, pretty much tied in with uh, Church being killed for the first time as well. Right. Spoilers. Spoiler warning. That <laughs> <laughs> was 2003. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think the statute of limitations on that. Church gets killed a lot. So what was your favorite moment during seasons one through five? Just, uh, just for the fun ones. I would say, for me, this is Bernie, I would say episode 39 is probably my favorite because we actually, we've always stayed away from making fun of actual Halo, the Halo universe, because we always wanted to make sure that people understood that just because it's in a video game doesn't mean it's about a video game. Mm -hmm. But in episode 39, we got to have the Red vs. Blue characters wander into an actual Halo multiplayer mm -hmm. match by accident. Mm -hmm. And just the mayhem of actual Halo was so much fun to shoot and put those guys into. Mm. The one where uh, the, the two teams... Uh, is it Beaver Creek or Battle Creek back in those days? I think... Uh, we, we argue about this sometimes, too. I think it's Battle Creek in Halo 1. It yeah. Is, yeah. And it becomes yeah. Beaver Creek in 2. Um, that, that was one of my favorites as well. But the biggest influence, I would say, the biggest influence over Red vs. Blue uh -huh. was by far a movie called Dark Star. And right, the John Carpenter one. Exactly, it's a John Carpenter movie. It's a movie I think they made in, in university. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it's, it's about guys in space, but they're not space warriors. There's nothing extraordinary about them. It's just an extraordinary situation that they're in. And I always like that. I just like just run-of-the-mill guys who have been on the ship for who knows how long together, and they all just hate each other. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just, I, I, 
I, you say Red versus Blue is, you know, definitely, definitely inspired a lot by some of the stuff I saw in Dark Star. Do you can you see this pitch into somebody that isn't into Halo or isn't into games at all? I mean, have you had people where you know this is their first, you know, base I guess with Machinima and just really got into the universe? And but even though they they're not interested in the games at all. Well, uh, you know, it's an interesting question. Um, early on, especially when we started Red vs. Blue, we put a, we put some jokes in that were very video game centric, like capturing a flag, that kind of stuff. But Red vs. Blue has always been more, I think, a lampoon of red tape and bureaucracy more mm. than more than anything else mm. and we were surprised at how well that played with people who weren't familiar with Red versus Blue, or weren't familiar with Halo or video games I would especially early on I'd get a lot of calls from mothers who wanted to order like a t-shirt for their son and she'd say and just so you know I'm a 55 year old hippie who has never seen a video game <laughs> in my life but I think you're very clever and you're very you're very nice young gentleman and you're like, you, man. <laughs> you know I think you're and, nice uh, from all the screaming and the swearing and the yeah, hatred well, yeah, the I, killing I, I get that sometimes too that like little you know the language could use a, a tune up but other than that you <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah it's uh, we, we've always been really kind of happy at uh, I don't know at the audience that it's pulled in that's not video game centric and you I get, get a lot of girlfriends too a lot of girlfriends that'll get into it a lot of parents that are like, why is my kid spending two hours a night hearing people scream curse words at each other? What's going on? I'd better sit down and figure this out. Or uh, maybe like a girlfriend who sees a uh, you know a credit card statement on the bill from Rooster Tooth Productions and Rooster Tooth Productions, and she's like, what the hell? What is my husband up to? You know, I gotta I gotta check this out. But we get girls who come up to us at conventions all the time, and they'll say, I had a boyfriend. And he would play Halo six hours a day, and I did not understand why he played Halo so much. <laughs> but he would also watch Red vs. Blue, and that was something Halo-related that we could do together. Because yeah. she could watch Red vs. Blue, but she wasn't much into actually playing video games herself. Well, my second question then would be, obviously you turned this into a fairly successful business. I mean, we saw you at PAX, and you were selling many T-shirts and you know DVDs and signing women's breasts and all that wonderful stuff. True. Why weren't we doing that, Sonny? <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but what's the legality, uh, you know, surrounding all that? I mean, obviously, you know, Machinima, you are using essentially somebody else's IP, um, and you know, I, from what I can normally work out, they're not too happy about people making money from that. So, how have Microsoft treated, you know, you guys? And do I, am I right in thinking when Halo Three came out with its, its Forge technology, didn't they change the copyright rules about what you could do within a game like that and how you could actually promote it? Mm. I don't. I don't know that they changed those rules. I think they created a rule set. Right. When Halo Three came out, I, I would say that as well. Like a generic guideline for machinima, uh, and just any video game capture footage as to what you know what you could and couldn't do with the footage. Which I think, I, I, as far as I know, they're one of the first companies to do that. And yeah, they are. One of the one of the things about Microsoft's been extremely progressive. You know, I mean, clearly we're biased because. We we thought that the first phone call they they made to us was to shut us down. You know, I mean, Cease and I think desist. Every, yeah, yeah, sure, everyone would expect that, right? But no, I mean, they Microsoft took a look at it and they saw something that was cool and something that was innovative and something that wasn't, I think, trying to be the game. I think that was important to them. I, I can't really speak for them, but sure, um, you know, the approach to us was well, let's see what happens and let's go forward with this, the licensing agreement. Um, and in regards to that, I mean, the best way to think about Red versus Blue is it's almost like. It's almost like anything else that would be a licensed product at this point. Um, Halo is, to me, like new Star Wars. I mean, it's a huge universe that young people get and they understand. And so 
Marvel Comics makes a graphic novel based on on Halo, and McFarlane Toys makes like makes action figures. Mm. Uh, there's novels based on Halo, uh, and there also happens to be a machinima show based on Halo as well, and that's what we are. Mm. Um, it's it's easy to try to classify us as something different because we're on the internet, and you know people think of the internet as being this wild west environment, but it's actually just like all those other things. I mean, it's you know we have a business relationship with Microsoft, and and uh, you know we have a license to do it, and I, I don't think of. I don't think of web series as being something you have to classify in a totally different category as everything else. It's just it's just delivered in a different way, and it's made by, you know, in our case, a, a different kind of set of people. But um, one of the tough things about machinima that I see a lot of other machinima groups go through, and which we've gone through ourselves, is that a lot of developers don't know how to handle it. You know, they don't know what they want to do with machinima, and so they don't specify any rules for people uh, – Either you can't do this or you can do it. They don't do it one way or the other. So there's this huge gray area, which always causes problems, I think, with that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And then a series may go for a year, a year and a half, two years, and then finally they just give up trying to get any kind of contact from the developer, and it just withers and dies. I've seen that many, many times. It always makes me sad when that happens. That's actually very similar to podcasts as well. You, You quite often see them get into their 20s or 30s, and at that point it's just, you know, it's too much work. They realize quite how much work it is, and they drop, which is really sad, right. actually. Right, yeah, we yeah. do. We do hear a lot of a lot of people will tell us like it must be great just to play video games all day. You know, <laughs> and it, and we are extremely lucky, and there's a lot of video game playing. But I don't think people realize that there's a good you know there's four or five people spending forty to eighty hours a week making one episode yeah. of Blue. Explain. Yeah. I mean, have you got a bigger staff than what you obviously when you first started? But have you actually taken on more aboard? So is is the you know your filming crew up to like 10 or 11 now or is it just the same core group of people it's funny red versus blue started with a staff of four it was bernie jeff gus and jason and after about the third or fourth episode which is when you know this is we get off our day jobs at 6 p.m and we go over to bernie's house and we film till two or three in the morning and then get up and do it again we lost two staff (laughs) somewhere around episode three (laughs) how's that happen jason moved to new york and gus moved to puerto rico and uh uh, suddenly Red vs. Blue is just Bernie and I, and it was Bernie and I for the, almost the entirety of the first season, mm. and yeah. it, it was a tremendous strain on our friendship, I'll say that, because Bernie and I worked together uh, at our day job, and so we would be together from 8 a.m. until 5, we'd go home, eat some dinner, I'd be over at his house at 6, we'd go till midnight or 1 or 2 in the morning in a tiny room together, and if Red vs. Blue had gone on for much longer in that scenario, one or both of us would, would be in jail, yeah. I think. Probably so. <laughs> uh, so luckily, luckily, soon, you know, towards the end of season one, Jason and Gus moved back, and we were able to hire Matt, who plays Sarge, away from Hollywood, uh, where he was making terrible movies. Driven <laughs> 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 and Scooby-Doo and uh, Clifford the Big Red Dog. And he came back, and he was a tremendous help, because that guy's a workhorse. And, yeah. and we had about five. I guess the what, – what's our staff now? Eight? Yeah, about that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. we have we have cartoonists. We've expanded, and we do more things now, too, at Rashid's. We have Rashid Comics. Now we have the Rashid's live-action shorts that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had other Machinima series. We also do some commercial production. So um, what we've done has expanded. I wouldn't say that we've expanded the staff to keep up with some of the other stuff we're doing, because we really just kind of all jump in and work yeah. on everything together. So I'll take it the day jobs have gone to the wayside now. So at what, what point did you just uh, go, uh, screw you guys, I'm going home to your actual <laughs> jobs? Uh, I was the – I at the end of season two, I left the day job that Bernie and I both had. Yeah. And uh, that was a pretty big leap of faith. Uh, but luckily it worked out. 
And then Bernie, I think, was the last holdover. He was actually president of that company at the end. And yeah. I think it must have been hard to give up. So you, you must have been running. Well, I, I'd worked there a long time. It was a very good job. But yeah, I was the last person to quit my day job mm. in, in order to in order to, to work at Rishi full time. Right. But it just got to a point where I couldn't. I just couldn't do both jobs effectively. You just can't do that after a while. Yeah. And so. Well, understood. Okay, right. Let's move on to Halo Three, Forge, and Reconstruction, because that's okay. that's when your your show started looking really fucking fantastic on DVD. Um, it suddenly jumped to like full screen uh, for for uh, you know proper anamorphically. Was it the word anamorphically justified? Yeah, anamorphically. Uh, and what should we say? Which is widescreen, you know, full screen. And I think that's what we used here. Let me ask you a question about that, if I can. Yeah. So the original season one, uh, it had that crazy aspect ratio because we had the letterbox. It's so far down. Yes. Yes. And then, it had, yeah, it has the reticle that you talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have the ability to now go back and using Halo PC make it full screen, even all the way up to HD resolution. Uh huh. Um, and those are we actually do that, and it's available on Xbox Live Marketplace. But we feel like to go back and change the DVD would be, in a way, disingenuous. In the same way that Lucas would, uh, it would be receive flack for that kind of thing. Right. I mean, well, how do you feel about that as somebody who's watched that first season? Do you agree with that, or no? Because it's the it's the ability of seeing you grow as a a company, as a you know the production itself. And I I actually quite like going back to the original game and seeing how quite how different it looks now. I mean, even I mean, I know the PC version would upres the the graphics, and but even that I think would probably change if, change it somewhat. If all you did was change the aspect ratio, and all you do is make it so that if you were watching on a, uh, a a modern television, it would actually look good. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Um, How dare you? I, I would not complain. And this is going to lead to another question we're probably going to ask at the end, but we may as well start now. For those new to the series. Watching that first series is going to be hard because it's tiny little weird box and it's on Halo 1 and obviously, you know, the, the, the lines are far more professionally delivered these days than they were back then. Um, so, I mean, in, in terms of getting in new audiences, yeah, definitely. I, it sounds like a great project. But what would you suggest to people if they were going to start listening to watching Red vs. Blue now? Where would they go? Well... I'm sorry, you want to take that, Bernie? Well, I was going to say, we actually stopped the Blood Gulch Chronicles at episode 100 mm-hmm. because it was so serial. And it was designed that way. It was designed to be something that you watched five minutes a week and it just went on. But after, who knew it was going to last as long as five series mm-hmm. and that it was going to stay so popular? And so we got to the point where we realized that people felt like they couldn't show up and, and suddenly just jump into the storyline. Yeah. Yeah, who, who wants to watch 94 episodes to catch up? Right? Right. I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's like we want to you know, make sure we weren't excluding people from catching up. So we wrapped up the storyline with the Blood Gold Chronicles, and then we started the new trilogy of movies that we're on now, which are Reconstruction, Recreation, and then Resolutions will be next summer. Uh, um, okay. And so those are intended to be standalone, a standalone trilogy. Mm-hmm. But really, I would say at this point, maybe start with reconstruction. I, I I would agree with that. Yeah, it was. I mean, we it was written, designed in a way to be a single ex- story, a single story that's accessible to a new audience. Yes, yeah. and it reintroduces the characters through the eyes of a new character who's Agent Washington, mm-hmm. and you get reintroduced to the the freelancer story, which is actually what it focuses on. Um, so yeah, I would say, and it's and it's modern day Halo Three, the graphics you would expect to see in a video game production. Yeah. So I would say probably Reconstruction would be the best place to start. It is weighty, but 
Um, I think, Tony, you, you uh, saw it fairly recently, didn't you? What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I, I, I stopped watching Red vs. Blue at season four. So I'm only a couple of seasons out, I mean, for whatever reason. I'll lend you four and five. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was a fantastic ability to actually, you know, jump back in and, and see where these characters, have, you know, have, have got to in their lives. I, I wonder... Honestly, do whether you know if I was just somebody, you know, let's call him a noob that comes off on the street and just you know jumps into this one as the first time, whether they still get a lot of the jokes and who church is and why he's a ghost and all that stuff. Although you do your best to explain it, um, but like you say, it, it's a minefield. I mean, how, how is Alex Battlestar Galactica? I mean, obviously you can watch it from season one, but yeah, there's so much depth within that that season. It's why would you not say. want to watch it from season <laughs> one? Why would yeah, you want to start at season three? See, exactly. that doesn't start, change all that much. But then people should start at season one to see how the characters progress. But I agree with you. Maybe it's not the most prettiest version to do so. So that comes back in full circle that, yes, you should do an HD version. But also Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> season one, episode one's really, really professionally excellent yeah. and good. Uh, whereas these guys have definitely had, so I feel like you're not, like you're not there, a real growth curve. I think you kind of hit your stride around maybe mid-season three, it started, to, to, to me, seeming really professional. Um, so, and then they, yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, but the episode one of Battlestar Galactica, right, it's not a crazy aspect ratio shot yeah. on a VHS yeah. tape, right? Yeah, it, and using a, uh, like a seven, like a nine year old game now, which is, I mean, by people's own standards, that's like, that's a generation behind on the console, and it's a game behind the one that really kind of pushed the graphics of that console. It's it's ancient. It's yeah, but so then that's like the argument. Can you not go back and play Halo One? I, mean, hey, I can do it. I'm just talking about yeah, other but, people. But if it's still good enough, I think if you still jump into Red versus Blue, you still have an, an understanding of what it is. And I think most people are willing enough to actually, you know, forget how how it looks for the sake of the actual content that is in you know within that. I'll be interested uh, to hear what our community say because a lot of them, I'm, I'm guessing, a lot of them haven't, uh, you know, watched Red versus Blue, and a lot of them, I'm sure, have. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. We'll have a no. poll or something. We'll uh, yeah. Okay, right. So Forge and Halo Three. So finally, you got basically it's effectively a theatre mode. You know, seemingly made almost entirely for you guys. Yeah, what I mean, that like. Do you do you feel like that? Do you think that Bungie have been sitting back, knowing the popularity of you, and know, and knowing the fact that you know, a lot of people watch Red versus Blue, and seeing that, do you reckon the Forge mode was somewhat of a nod towards you, as I well think- as you know the community? I think Halo 3 in general was a nod to us. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, they probably would have stopped after the first one, if not for Red Blue. You know, this was a good run, but eh. <laughs> let's move on to like maybe a Mario clone or something like that. Um, no, I think that I think that more so, I would not say a direct nod to us, but I think that Red vs. Blue had a, a big influence on other people starting to make machinima in Halo. Mm. So I think that suddenly... Halo became the number one tool that you'd use for machinima. Yeah, I, I mean, still, even to this nine, day, most machinima seems like it's made in Halo. Nine times out of ten, if you see machinima on the internet, it's going to be in Halo, right? And up until then, there was, there was I don't think anybody used P- console games for machinima at all. The closest thing we had seen was also in, in Halo, and we didn't talk about this, but it was also a bit of a, I guess, an inspiration to us, was the Warthog physics jump. Yeah, Warthog jump, it's called. Warthog jump. By video. Randall Glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so I think once then the whole Halo machinima scene exploded, I definitely think Forge is a part of that. Yeah, uh, and it, the cinema mode specifically, maybe not Forge, but the cinema mode is mm-hmm. is um, you know a huge huge nod to everyone making movies and things. But I think I think the Reverse of Blue had a had an influence on that scene, and then you know Bungie of course wants to acknowledge what their users are doing, what their users are using the game for. Yeah, but more. 
the way the way Frank O'Connor explained it to us uh, at Bungie uh, was that it's their bull true system. It's where like <laughs> if uh, if somebody says you know somebody says ha I assassinated you and you go no it's it's bullshit I didn't die you didn't hit me you can go back and play the film and go bull true. <laughs> seriously, I've spent too many hours doing that with friends. We have oh, studied yeah we have studied certain bullets and gone seriously that didn't go through his head. Like, minute detail of frame by frame. Okay, it just clipped inside him, bam. Oh, indeed, you can look out for the worst throw ever. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know what's crazy to me is not that Bungie made this thing, this huge cinema mode, but that the the fact that every game doesn't have this now. Yeah. Because I play games all the time. Like, uh, like I'll play GTA 4, for example, uh, and some crazy thing happens, and I think immediately... I can't wait to watch that again. And yeah. it's like, oh, I can't. It's gone. You Do know? you remember it's, it's Driver gone. on the PlayStation 1? Yes. yes. That's, that, that's, that was the first one I did with, uh, with that kind of mode. I, it, I completely agree. It should be completely compulsory, especially on, uh, on games with like, you know, vast amounts of things going on because it, it, well, it would set the world of machinima you know, way more open for way more different projects and people wouldn't just be using Halo all the time. But there, there's always been rumours with Microsoft saying that actually the next 360 or the next whatever it may be, 720, um, is going to have the <laughs> ability to actually do, to have this in all games, that it will actually be a hardware feature rather than a uh, software that you implement in games that's going to oh. be constantly recording stuff to the hard drive. It should be you know, a fantastic hard. idea. Let's hope. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... We, what- should, we should send them a season to assist, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's, um, so what was it like suddenly now working with, uh, I suppose, again, I'm bringing it back to Forge, somewhere where you could actually set up your, your level and put exactly what you wanted there and, like, uh, and lay out the exact weapons you needed, the exact you know, props? It was, it's hard to explain. It was incredibly overwhelming. Like when I mentioned earlier, we spent a good nine months just getting, getting used to Forge in theater mode and figuring out just how the hell to use it. I mean, it was, it's, all, it's, it's a very robust, deep system mm. and i mean just for the simple fact that we can set up a prop table jeff does this is when we go to shoot a scene you don't see it but on the map somewhere there's a props a props area where sarge's shotgun is there and church's sniper rifle is there and all the guys <laughs> run over to the prop the props department they'll pick up their weapons you know is andy there andy is there well not it depends <laughs> on the game type yeah but he would be there he would be stuck there. or sheila's in there and the warthog is over there I and see. so we just pull out the elements that we need for it uh, it's definitely added a new element of uh, preparation to Red vs. Blue because now, before every episode, I'll go through and I'll actually create spawn points, mm-hmm. uh, or Bernie will, uh, for where I want the characters, where we want the characters to be on the map. We spend maybe an hour getting a map ready before we film, just so it's as efficient as possible once we start shooting. And it's pretty cool. Believe, it or, believe it or not, it's actually easier to shoot machinima in Halo 2 than it is to shoot it in Halo 3 because you capture it all live. It's just you can't get nearly the quality that you can get. I mean, the sacrifice, the sacrificing quality of working with Halo 2, I mean, just in the camera shots you can get, uh, you know, you can have a flying camera. Mm. The ability to make the camera movements independent of the actors is incredible. You know, Jeff mm. and Gus will act out the scene, and then Gavin or I will go back with the cameraman after the fact and get perfect shots. You know, you get a warthog like landing right in front of the camera because you know where it's going to land. Yeah. And it's just, it's amazing. As okay. opposed to like Halo 1, right? Where we had a scene where Tex wanted to turn invisible behind the base. Mm-hmm. But if you picked up the invisibility where it was in the middle of the canyon, 
You it, couldn't get, yeah. It, it would disappear by the time she got to the rear of the base. <laughs> so we had to spend 30 minutes punching the invisibility power up. <laughs> We'd shoot it with rockets, right? Yeah. And we'd have to shoot it with rockets for 30 minutes. And if somebody, God forbid, somebody would shoot it and it would go the wrong direction. And it'd be like, get, get out. Get out of the room. <laughs> have to leave. Oh, the good old days. Oh, my <laughs> God. I'm Private Church from the popular web series Red vs. Blue. And I am also a popular show. We've been putting RVB on the web for several years now, and we've noticed a lot of trends on internet forums. But more importantly, we've also noticed some things that never happen. Right, and we know all about the rush to be first on forums, to say something fresh and new that no one has ever heard before. So we thought we'd help all of you out by telling you ten things we've never heard said on an internet forum. You know, I remember when nobody knew about this band. We used to have to go to small clubs to see them. Now they've gotten so popular, we get to see them in huge arenas all over the country. And their songs are on the radio all the time. It's great. I'm really happy for them and all their success. Yeah, it's a really great feeling to have been a part of something at the beginning that turned out to be so popular. Hey, you know that song that automatically plays every time I load your MySpace page? I love it. It's like a soundtrack for the internet. Oh, this video. I've already seen it before, and I loved it. Thanks for showing it to me again, so I can relive the experience. You are welcome. And whatever happened to the numbers on the hatch? It's like they're just making it up as they go along. Excuse me, I am new here, and there's a lot of things I don't understand about the way this place works. Wow, a new user. That's great. We'd be happy to show you the ropes. Amo a nuevos personas. No puedo esperar. Una opinión fresca sobre. Welcome, new best friend. Hey, you know that video game that's exclusive to the video game console you play? I just read they're making a version for the video game console that I play. Wow, that man, that is a relief. I was getting really tired of telling people with other consoles how great this game was. Now, I'm so glad you guys are going to have a chance to enjoy it, too. And I'll tell you another thing. I'm going to be really excited to see the differences in the two versions. Hey, that new PC game you want to play comes out next week, but it costs $55. $55? That's more than I wanted to pay. Oh, well, I guess I won't get to play it then. Yeah, well, maybe you can save up. So I was reading the AOL homepage the other day. But luckily, a woman's voice reminded me that I could win a free iPod. Otherwise, I would have missed the ad altogether. And what about the polar bears? What were they even doing on the island? Hey, you want to come talk about this? Not really, thanks. I don't really like that show, and I don't think I'd have anything good to say about it. I figure, you know, why bring you guys down? Of course I download movies. Hollywood makes total shit these days, and they expect you to pay for it. That's why when I go to the local Megaplex... I only see movies like Michael Clayton and Atonement. If you like that guy's one YouTube video, you should really watch the rest of his work. You really get to see him grow as an artist. Without these capital letters, there's no way I can tell that you are very excited! Thank you for all the explanation points! I have to say, I really like your work and have nothing negative to say about it. It's much better than my own, in fact, which I will not link to in this post. I didn't get what was funny about that picture until the LOL words explained it to me. That cat is hilarious. That girl picture is very pretty. Well, I won't be masturbating to that later. I really like your username. Those two X's you put at the beginning and the end? Touch class. 
Nice to meet you, squirrel fucker. Would you like to connect later on Friendster? So there you have it. Feel free to use these statements in any of the forums that you frequent. We guarantee you'll be the only person to use them. Just be sure to include the copyright statement at the end of this video. Well, that's a given. You know how much we all value copyright. Right, okay, so there must have been a conversation uh, when you finally got your hands on Halo 3 and you all sat down and you thought, right, okay, this is something else and we need to relaunch the brand, so what are we going to do? And from, from that, I'm assuming you started the idea of the trilogy. How did that conversation go or that series of conversations? That's a really good question. I don't know. It's, it's, it's over a long period of time. It's not, you know, we pick up little bits and pieces from press releases, just like everybody else. Like, we heard, well, maybe there's going to be a cinema mode. Well, what does that mean? And then we heard, well, you have a flying camera. It's like, wow, we can't have a flying camera in the game. And then a few weeks later, we hear, no, it's not a flying camera in the game. It's there's a separate mode where you can replay your footage. And then, you know, you hear rumors, too, like you'll be able to, you know, render your own movies, which now you can actually do in Halo. You can render it yeah. on the Bungie.net site. Yeah. And so it's just a slow, like, trickle of information, and you're just trying to get everything you can. I remember a great moment uh, in in that process where to promote the multiplayer beta for Halo 3, Bungie flew us out to make a video. Oh. Uh, and this was in oh, February or so. Yeah, uh, I think it was maybe April. April of the year it came out. out. Okay, because it was after Crackdown. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was right before the beta came out. Three weeks before the beta. Came so out. was that the we want Halo Three? We want that that one, or was that the yeah? yeah. 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 Okay, the, with That's the free shrimp. Yeah, free shrimp. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I got to put this on my block. So Bernie and I flew out to Seattle, and Bungie, you know, gave us a capture station and a place to set up and and film. But before that, they put us in a little room with a copy of of Valhalla, and they said, "Play around, get used to get used to the game." And Bernie and I were driving around on mongooses, which was like the coolest thing in the world to do the first yeah. time ever. <laughs> and uh, we're driving around, and we drove up on the crashed Pelican. And Bernie Bernie goes, "Wow, dude, a crashed Pelican? That's that's what do we do with that? <laughs> I, I don't know." And then we practiced driving up with the mongooses onto the crashed pelican and having the, having the headlights hit it and how dramatic it looked back and forth. And he, and, and I think that's the, I mean, that was, that was our trailer. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Eight, eight months later, that became the trailer, that one moment. And I, I just, I saw like the gears turning in Bernie's head and it was really, it was really interesting. It, it's always funny because we're the most disappointing playtesters on the planet, for <laughs> yeah. Bungie, I think, because, because they bring us up and they say, here's the game. Uh, what do you tell, why don't you just play it and tell us what you think about it? And then someone will stick around and watch us play the game. But the first thing we do is say, okay, let's run up. And we just sit stand there and look at each other. And we have, you know, we have the characters look and then he'll look up and down. Jeff will look up and down. Then I'll look up and down. And then we'll try to figure out how to lower the weapon. We'll dual wheel. Yeah. What did they and expect like, though? Seriously, you guys are all about the architecture. You guys are all about the grass and the, the every fiber of those levels. Why would you, why would you just shoot each other? That's mental. Right, I, but it's still bizarre. It must be bizarre to them. I'm like, what are these guys doing? Yeah, but they're still... <laughs> we were trying to make the lighting trick work in Halo Three, and somebody came in and goes, "What are you guys doing?" And we were like, uh, "We're just sliding. trying to do the lighting trick." And he goes, "Oh yeah, we'll fix that. You should just kill." No. Them. Ah. So you just stand around and talk. Quit wasting your time. Okay. <laughs> what? 
What's so, your um, no, um your take on actually using campaign footage? I mean, I, most of this is obviously done through via multiplayer footage. You take it's easier to set up, but have you ever been tempted to doing some sort of big idea from one of the campaigns levels, or is it just almost impossible with the way that you know enemies keep respawning in? Well, I think the, the big issue with using campaign is that we can't get different colored characters. In yeah, there. you're stuck with two, mm-hmm. three aliens you know, and a master. You could have Master Chief who is his own specific color. Mm-hmm. You can't get the Master Chief color even in multiplayer. And so it would have to be a different character. But, I mean, we've used cutscenes. We've used elements. Yeah. Like uh, the, the character for Counselor that we use is from right. Ratchet. Yeah. Uh, is that what it's called in Campaign Ratchet? Ratchet, Ratchet. Yeah. yeah. You just and, used uh, some footage from uh, Halo 3 in uh, just – there was a Sarge promotional video, wasn't there? Yep. Yeah, that was uh, the uh, the laser stuff yep. I think we used from Halo 3. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we, we'll, use, we'll use some elements for sure. And if, you know, we want to have – Characters, there's some characters that are not available in multiplayer, uh, like Brutes and Grunts. And uh, if we ever, mostly we use that outside the normal Red vs. Blue storyline, though. No, hang on, sorry, I got confused. It was the one where uh, Church, in his new form, no spoilers there, sees what you know new powers he can do by looking at a bit of what Guilty Spark could do. Right, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he shows a film, which is basically a cutscene from Halo 3. Yeah, that was, that was good. Right, okay, so, you clearly made the decision with... Um, Reconstruction to go serious because it is uh, it's effectively a serious film. It's got comedy in it, but it's it's going straight the way through. You're propelled the whole way through, and and you you seem to have a completely different agenda to um to previously. When you sat down and started writing it, and you, and you suddenly who had the idea for the chairman and the um the director <laughs> the director that's it. Uh, who had the idea? Uh, that was me. Uh, Bur- uh, this morning, I do most of the writing for the series. Uh-huh. So when did you decide, like, hey, right, it's going to go totally serious on this one? Or did you not? Did you just did it somehow organically flow into something that was a lot more serious? Well, we wanted, I wanted to have something that was more of a story for mm. Reconstruction. And the, idea, the initial idea for Reconstruction was people were so familiar with the Red vs. Blue characters. Why don't we tell a story where the Red vs. Blue characters are there, but they're not central to the story? Yeah. And they come in as more minor characters. And that's essentially the first half of Reconstruction was like that. Here's this guy, Wash, mm. and he's got this this mission that he's on to hunt down this other freelancer who's rounding up all these AI fragments and trying to figure out what happened with them. And the only people that can help him are these troopers who have experience. And then <laughs> as we build, as we reach this, <laughs> you know, it's called Reconstruction. As they, recon- as they reconstruct the teams, he finds out these guys are just idiots and they don't know anything at all. But so they, they're more for comedic relief. And then yeah. the one we're doing this summer uh, that we're just about to wrap up is called Recreation. And that is more more like the Blood Gulls Chronicles, where it's a lot of just random mayhem jokes and not so plot-centric. Mm. To be honest, I prefer Reconstruction. I, I really I like the direction you went. It's the best thing that we've done. I yeah. really do. It's my, favorite, it's my favorite thing that we've done. And I think if you like Reconstruction, you're definitely going to like uh, the next one that we do, which is resolutions. Oh, excellent! I'm excited. Right. Okay, so um, in reconstruction, why the absence of Tucker, Lopez, Sheila, Doc, Sister, Donut, and Tex throughout? Was it just to streamline the whole thing and make it just purely about some core characters? Well, Sister or- and Lopez are in there, but they're only in there for one episode. Indeed, for like a little tiny bit. Yeah, a little tiny bit in Halo Two, and uh, yeah, I, I, I guess Tucker had something that he was doing, so it was plot specific to him. Um, and Sheila, Sheila was in the ship, and we used her a little bit as well. But there was definitely a conscious effort to not 
to not make this the Blood Gulch Chronicles. It's not all the same set of characters. Yeah. And so we wanted to go with ones that were the more, I think, the more core characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of Sarge. I think of Griffin Simmons as being two, one person, actually. It's hard to have them with separate scenes. We did some of that in Recreation. Uh, but I think I always think of Sarge and Caboose as, you know, they are the red and blue characters. So we definitely wanted to have them in there yeah. as well. And uh, I thought it'd be fun to just slowly bring people back. And Tucker and Donut were always kind of, they were they were more more kind of side characters, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, so. Well, we, and and Tucker had his own uh, his own thing at, at the end of the Blood Ghost Chronicles. You know, he kind of had his own adventure to go on. Yeah. Yes. True. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, I gotta say, I miss Tex. She she was she really grounded the show and and gave it just a, just a, a it would something for the ladies if nothing else at least you know it was it was vaguely empowering to have her around but um yeah I assume at some point we may see a bit more of her I hope I pray she made a she made a very brief cameo in the uh, or a, some semblance of text in the recreation trailer. Do you have any plans? I mean, obviously, you're probably not going to tell us if you do, but uh, do you have any plans for ODST? I don't know. I mean, if I'm sitting here right now, I don't think so. Um, it, it would all depend. Firefight mode is de- is the the way we would shoot in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're spending time with it right now, and we're looking at it. Um, ODST is something very specific, though. Mm. It's very cool to have characters you can take the helmets off of. Yeah. Um, and it's also very cool that every single one of the multiplayer maps is something directly from the campaign, not inspired yeah. by the campaign, but you can visit them in both the campaign and in multiplayer. Yeah. So that's cool. And we, we, we've done some more work in it before, but we've tried to make the, the characters, the colors they are now. I'll say this. We're not going to do something with the existing red versus blue characters in ODST. Does that make sense? Yep. That's that would, that would, that very hard to do, sir. A spin-off yeah, series, maybe? Maybe, possibly. But we don't have plans to do that right okay. now. It, it seems quite a constrictive game type because ultimately you're, you know, no matter if you go a certain distance, you're going to have aliens bearing down on you and screwing up your film. Are you, are you not in a position, though, as a company now to talk to Bungie and go, look, seriously, dev kit that allows us just to say, stop. No people in Firefight, no people in campaign, let us play within this world. And maybe even tweak the colours of the armour or something? Well, I'll tell you what, we actually got to work on a, uh, we got to work on a commercial for ODC, a television commercial yep. for it. And the the GameStop ones. Well, yeah. The GameStop ones, right? Yeah. And there was a brief moment in time where we actually got to take control of a grunt, and I am still trying to recover from that. <laughs> All the possibilities of having a grunt character would be the greatest thing ever. Uh, Even yeah. better than uh, I've completely forgotten the name of the alien blog. Oh, Junior. Well, Junior was the fun one where we, we shrunk him in the actual scene by just yeah. setting him further away. Uh, yeah, but a grunt character would be so much fun. I so be true. Yeah. So is that something that Bungie aren't overly keen on because ultimately it's changing their game world? You know, for, obviously for your purposes and for a web-based TV show, but you know, is it you know they feel like it, it was it's breaking what is theirs at that point? Well, yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like you asked earlier, are you at a point now as a company where you could uh, ask for that or get a debug kit or whatever? Um, it goes back to what you just said now about breaking the game as well. We don't ever we don't ever go out of our way to try to ask for anything. They've been very nice about mm-hmm. saying what would be helpful to people who make machinima and then we give them a list and um you know we're very excited to see what what might end up in the game but 
we don't really ask for a lot of things because they're busy making the games that we love to play. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. the other thing too is is I can't imagine how horrified I would be if there was something that they added in uh to Halo that would help machinima makers and then suddenly it was exploited by people who like to cheat and yeah. somehow negatively affected the game. That would be just horrendous. That's a different um, way of looking at it, yeah. So yeah, I mean so I, I guess I guess to to put it in perspective we're Halo players first and Machinimator second. Fair enough. That shows loyalty. Okay. Um, so I suppose the, the, the next question from that is how long are you planning to carry on putting out shows? I think, I think we will continue doing Red vs. Blue in some form or another for as long as people want to watch it and as long as Microsoft and Bungie are okay with us doing it. Um, you know, that's the answer a, I wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah, there was, a, there was a point in time where we, we, we really actively talked about that, but... Now our production is to the point where we don't feel like we don't feel like we have to do red versus blue in place of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got our production to the point now where we can create red versus blue videos that people enjoy. Mm-hmm. Maybe they won't be every week, uh, but yeah, we'd like to keep doing them as long as people want to see them. How, how do you feel about? Okay, there has been many machinima. Uh, Productions out there now, and even yourselves, you know, uh, going off into the Sims and, and different areas there, but. Red versus blue is is you know is quintessentially what people think is machinima now. You know you have basically paved the way for many many other people to try this, but you, without doubt you still seem to be the number one guys. And how does that make you feel? Because obviously you now you do you do speeches. You, uh, I know you go to certain universities as well and and talk about the art form of this and you know and actually saying that it is an art form in itself that it can actually be used as a you know a, a, a movie device rather than just as people have always said you know it's just a game. Um, but so you're at the very, very top. How does that make you feel? And you know your role of bringing this to other people. Well, it's, I mean, we've always appreciated the fan support that we've gotten. Um, you know, it's it's opened a, a lot of doors for us, and um, I, I hope that likewise we've been able to, to open the door for a lot of other people. Um, I, I especially like when we get letters from younger filmmakers because Machinima is extremely accessible for young people, and it's a really great way to practice the techniques of storytelling. And filmmaking, because a lot of machinima is is just like live action. I mean, you have, like Jeff said, you have marks that you have to hit, and what you're seeing is an actual live recorded performance. So, um, yeah, it's been great. Uh, it's 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 been wonderful, and uh, you know, the machinima that we've seen out there that that we've really enjoyed, we've really liked a lot, and and not all of it's even in Halo. Uh, you know, we've gone out there and watched other pieces that we've really liked. Jeff, do you have any thoughts on that at all? I mean, just that uh, it it's very it's very hum- like specifically getting to go to events and film festivals and things is kind of a humbling experience for me. I don't know. It's it's great to know that there are that many people out there that enjoy what we do to the extent that they want to bring us out to talk about it or to show it. It was very cool to submit. I made a live action film, an actual movie uh, before Red vs. Blue that no one has ever seen, and I you know submitted to film festivals. For instance, Sundance, and I have a very nicely worded rejection letter from Sundance. And it, it was nice to be rejected from Sundance, and then three years later be asked by Sundance to come there and talk about Machinima. Nice. You know, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't even apply to go to the festival. They asked us to come out, so that was a nice change of pace. <laughs> but it, is that something you could look to in the future? I mean, has, has this led you into a place now where you think, well, actually, I probably could get funding for a film, and or are you just happy doing what you're doing now? Well, that's kind of the other side of this whole deal, right? I mean, the machinima aspects of what we do are one thing, but then the other side is the web distribution uh, side of our company, which is the other 
aspect of of what I think makes Red versus Blue successful. And mm-hmm. I, we really we really enjoy the environment of being on the web and being able to create something and then immediately to sh- be able to show it to whoever we want to show it to. We've been through the process of trying to find distribution for projects, and that's not a lot of fun. You know, it, it's not a lot of fun to try to convince some guy behind a desk why people are going to like this thing. And I, I think that we could have taken Red versus Blue to a number of places before we actually made it, and they would have said, "Yeah, I don't get this. You know, it doesn't make any sense." But uh, you know, we were able to put it online, and like I said, three thousand people the first week, and three hundred thousand the next week. Yeah, speaking of, speaking to the uh, I guess the immediacy of it, it's. I, I read an article a while back after Team America World Police came out, which was a movie by Matt Stone and Trey Parker. It was a public We're very public familiar with it. Yeah. Very funny movie. And uh, someone asked them uh, what the process was like, and they said, you know, it's really weird as opposed to South Park, which they do South Park very quickly as well. And it's, uh, an episode of South Park I read can take anywhere from three to seven days to produce and be on the air. Mm-hmm. Whereas they said the thing that, that kills us about making live-action movies and maybe why we don't want to do it anymore is we come up with a script, we write it, and two years later, we show that script to the world. And by the time, by two years later, we're like, "Was this even funny to do it? How, how did I think this joke was funny two years ago?" I, and I can't imagine us producing content in that manner. I, I don't know. I mean, we, we've definitely become very accustomed to putting an episode out and then within ten minutes having people tell us why it sucks. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting because I saw. Um Reconstruction twice, once uh, in bits over the course of a year, and the second time in one go on DVD, and it is, it really, really works just as a standalone film. And obviously, you know, you were you started the first one many, many months before you finished the last one, and yet it's coherent the whole way through. I'm not entirely sure where I'm going with this, as I've been buttering you guys up, but um, it, you know, working to your format, you can still produce a product which actually works in a cinematic sense. So. Um, yeah. But, but we did get response along the way as well, and I appreciate that because it, Reconstruction was written as one long story. Mm. Uh, so maybe that's why it, it holds up really well on DVD. Mm. But we did get, you know, we did get audience feedback all along the way. It's rare. It's rare that you get a movie where you know you get five minute approvals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> and you can actually uh, change things as you're going. You know, you're on the new market, as it were. Yeah, it's that the old way of doing things and the, the you know, standard Hollywood way of doing movies is actually getting to, to be, well, it's in crisis at the moment. So doing it this way seems to be kind of uh, a bit more innovative, a bit more interesting. Well, uh, I think we agree with that. We, we see a lot of people on the web trying to fight their way into television and movies. Mm. And I think we all kind of realize that in the next 10 years, everything is going to just be mixed together. Yeah. Well, we... Um, <laughs> We've been set. Well, I, I set out uh, ten years ago to to do things in the traditional sense, and things just changed around me while I was trying to do it. So I've been constantly reevaluating. It's uh, I, I don't know about you, Tony, but um, mm. it's why well, the internet changed a lot of things, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's why I found myself podcasting like this, and it's, it's one of the things I absolutely love. And if I could just do something like this and get paid, that'd be brilliant. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, um, last question for me then is. Rooster Teeth, the brand itself. I mean, it, it's not just Red versus Blue. I mean, obviously, the actual web, the website itself has a hell of a lot of stuff. But you've also got Achievement Hunter. Uh, do you have your own podcast as well? I believe uh, we do. Yeah, it's kind of in its infancy. Uh, we call it the Drunk Tank, which is a nod <laughs> back to a feature that we had on Drunk Gamers years yep. and years and years ago. Uh, but yeah, we uh, I think we're on like episode twenty two, twenty five, twenty five. Okay. 
And uh, so it's pretty Excuse new. At 30. We just about 30. That's not true. Is that true? It is. Yeah. Wow. Time flies. Uh, I feel like we, it feels like we've been doing it for about three weeks, but I guess. Yeah. I guess we do. Yeah, we do a weekly podcast. It's about an hour and a half. Comes out every Wednesday, noonish, I guess. Yep. And uh, that's a hell of a lot of fun. This podcasting stuff, you guys are onto something here. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very random. It's just us talking about video games and movies and anything. And about, and about what it's like to work every day with the same people for 11 years and just hate them. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> I'll check it out. I've got uh, you know, stuff to listen to tomorrow, and I will put that on my list. Hi, I'm Private Dick Simmons from the popular web series Red vs. Blue. And I'm Private Dexter Griff from the same show. You know, these days, many people are wondering how they can tighten their belts to weather the hard economic times. It turns out some people in some place did some things that lost a bunch of money for some people you don't even know. Yeah, we don't understand the details, but apparently people buying houses they can't afford with money they didn't have from the banks that weren't paying attention was a bad thing. Who knew? Also, we're having all sorts of peaks right now. We've got peak oil, peak water, peak temperature, peak hurricanes, peak bees. Peak bees? It's true. Look it up. The point is, we're all doomed. Absolutely. Especially if you're a bee that runs on oil. But, in these dark times, it's important that you stay optimistic. Right. You should be thinking positive thoughts like, how can I outlive my neighbors so that when they die, I can take their stuff? Luckily, Sarge's gathered some useful tips to help us figure out how to get through these tough times. Uh, actually, we can't do that right now. What? Why not? I've been too busy meeting with the Blues to work on the list. Meeting? Yeah, this is kind of hard to explain, but we're bankrupt. Sure, what? Uh, we're broke. We got some credit cards and we made some bad choices. Yeah, like we upgraded our flag, but we probably shouldn't have. And we also bought some hedge fund stocks! You bought hedge fund stocks with a credit card? Yeah, and then when we lost money doing that, we tried to buy more stocks by taking out a subprime home equity loan on our base. Uh, yeah, so the bank took our base. Uh, then they repossessed our tank and our ammo. Then the bank sold it all to some foreign characters from another video game. Wow. Sucks to be you guys. Actually, it sucks to be everybody. Because it's up to us to bail out the Blues. What? Why would we do that? As of this week, the Blues will be moving into our base, which will be split down the middle with a line of masking tape. Right side red, left side blue. They're going to live in our base? Yeah. Also, Griff, you got to give them your gun. Why? They can't afford ammo anymore. Good. Then they can't shoot at us. Actually, that's bad. We need to have them shooting at us. We have to have competition for a healthy environment. Healthy environment? They're going to be living in our home and using our guns to shoot at us. That's not healthy. That's suicide. Nonsense. It's only until they get back on their feet with all the money we're going to pay them. We're paying them money, too? Of course we are. That part just makes sense. Where are we getting the money? Well, as you know, times are tough. So we're going to have to take out a loan to help them. What? Oh, dude, I know a place where you can get an awesome subprime home equity loan for your base. That sounds perfectly reasonable. Grant, where are you going? To pawn my armor and gun before the bank takes it. Hey, when you get the money from the pawn shop, we're going to need that, too. Remember, we're all in this together. Gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on, really. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be on. Okay. Tony, anything? No, I I'm, I'm feel so guilty now. I need to go and see season four and five. So, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will buy the big box set and give you guys money. How about that? Yeah. Uh, deal. You like money? <laughs> <laughs> we will. 
we will take your British pounds and deliver a nice box set. Well, Here. my 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 best memory is uh, meeting you guys at PAX. I got a lovely signed um, poster, and uh, I, trust me, for people that weren't there, there was a queue to actually get to actually get you to sign stuff and buy T-shirts and sign people's breasts. So uh, if that tells you that you <laughs> you've made it when you're at PAX, that you actually have a queue to get you know to get through to you guys, and that's fantastic. Oh, we didn't even mention that anime skit. Uh, any more of that coming? The one on the Reconstruction DVD. Oh, for the uh, Reverse Blue animation? Yeah. Well, that was the first test that we did, and we're just in the mode right now of exploring how we can make more of those. Because, as you can imagine, that's a lot more expensive to produce than Machinima is. Yeah, yeah. We're just so, following hopefully, Halo. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. Hope, hopefully more very soon. Sure. Okay. And finally, tell the boys and girls at home where they can, where they can find your stuff. Uh, they can find all of the nonsense that is Rooster Teeth <laughs> on our website, www.roosterteeth.com. Rooster like the bird, teeth like in your face. <laughs> <laughs> and that is all from us this week. Remember to be in with a chance to win a giant bag of PAX-related swag. Go to iTunes and give us a review. The music for the end of the show this week is from Trocadero, the band behind the music of Red vs. Blue. This is the Johnny Cash-style murder ballad about the meanest chick in the galaxy a girl named Tex. We'll see you guys next week. And, and by the way, a big hello to all uh, Red vs. Blue fans who might be listening to us in case you guys mention us. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll be back next week. My name is Alex Shaw. I'm Tony Atkins. Happy trails. story of a girl named Beth, now known as Tex. Her life's tale is a bloody trail, her name fits like a glove. Her dad is sad as she slammed the door, she'd said to him, I'm Beth no more. My life's dream is to kill for green, but first I'll join the Corps. Her daddy said, you're just a girl, what makes you think that you won't sink? My name is Tex and I'm like a hex, my playground is the world. She turned her gun to gold, soon had it made She'd hit by trade, amassing kills She proved her skills, make your blood run cold
Uh, we will talk to you, well, hopefully talk to you later, and uh, have a great evening. Uh, Tony, I fancy going to play a bit of Halo. I really do now have to play that. <laughs> yeah, I'm play some Firefly. We haven't done that enough. Yeah, why not? Let's go do that. Why Thank not? you, gentlemen. Take care. You know, we'll have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.